how Jesus was born to be Savior and King. And we're going we're gonna to try to get to know Jesus a little bit better throughout uh, the next several times that I, that I speak before you. And we're going to look into his life and his ministry, his death, his resurrection. We're going to look at all of it and see what things that, that we can glean from that to help us as we walk through our life. Certainly there is a lot uh, in there in the Gospels and in the New Testament that talks about Jesus. And he is the center of our life, should be the foundation of our life. And so we want to know everything that there is to know about him. And so this morning, we're going to look at the fact that he was born to be Savior and king. And I want you to know first off as we begin this morning that Jesus fulfilled God's promises and Jesus was God made flesh and and of course he still is God, but when he was here on this earth, he was God made human or made flesh. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, this passage of Scripture says that the Word there was in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created by the Word. Well, what was the Word? Well, verse 14 of this same chapter, John defines that, who the Word was. It says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he defines for us here that the Word of God is Jesus. And as you think about Jesus' mission here on earth, as we get into His life and His ministry... Think about what Jesus came here to do. He came here literally as the Word of God. He came here to share God's message with the world. He is the Word of God. And that Word of God was there from the beginning. Jesus has always been. He has always existed. He is God. Him and God are one and the same. We talk about it in terms of the Trinity and the three aspects of God that make up the one being And it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around the fact that there is God the Father who we think of. We think of Jesus as God the Son and we think of the Holy Spirit. But all three of those, the scripture tells us, have always been and they are together one God. Genesis tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters as God created. Uh, Many places, including what we just read here in John chapter 1, tells us that Jesus was also there in the beginning. And so I want us to recognize this morning that Jesus had all of the characteristics and deity of God himself as he came down to this earth. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the scripture says, For in him, speaking of Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so within Jesus' human body, within his flesh, he was God. And that's going to be important as we go through and we talk about the things that Jesus did. Because if Jesus were mere man, if he were simply a great guy who came and taught some good things and did a lot of great things, well, okay, great, but it doesn't really change anything. But God sending a part of himself down to live as man and then to bring God's message to the world does change things. And it did change things forever. So God was made flesh through Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, there's a prophecy made about an eternal kingdom. Scripture here says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And if you recall, this comes out of here the chapter where Daniel is interpreting the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has seen that statue made of all the different metals. And Daniel tells him those different metals on that statue represent the different kingdoms. And he gets to that fourth kingdom, which we know to be the days of the Roman Empire, and that's when he makes this prophecy. He says, In the days of these kings, in the days of Rome, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So I want us to recognize there have been prophecies about a kingdom that would come and a king that would rule over it. 
And Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. As we look at some of those prophecies about the king, we notice 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 and 13, as the prophet Samuel here is speaking to David. He says, When thy days be fulfilled, David, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now we look at prophecies like this, and we sometimes go, well, that's talking about Solomon. Because Solomon was David's seed. Solomon, in fact, built the temple. So this this is talking about Solomon. But this is what you might call a dual prophecy. But if you notice there in verse 13, he says something that cannot mean Solomon. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Solomon's kingdom is not an eternal kingdom. It was not. Solomon's kingdom was not meant to last forever. The kingdom of Israel was not meant to last forever. No earthly kingdom was meant to last forever. There is only one eternal kingdom, and that is the eternal kingdom that God promised to set up in the days of Rome. And he's going to do that through Jesus Christ. So I want us to recognize before we even get into the life of Jesus, that Jesus was promised from old times, all the way back, in fact, to Genesis chapter 3. As we see after Adam and Eve had taken of that fruit and they had sinned against God, we know that there is a prophecy there in that chapter that talks about the seed of the woman, we know to be Jesus, crushing the head of the serpent, even as the serpent manages to bruise the heel of that seed. And so as we look forward through the story, we know as Jesus died on that cross and was crucified, Satan thought he was winning, he bruised him, but then in the resurrection, Jesus' power came on full display and he crushed Satan. And Satan's power was destroyed. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we have a prophecy about Jesus. And throughout all of the Old Testament, we see prophecy after prophecy about a Savior and a King that God would send to mankind. So I don't want us to just start at the day when Jesus was born and say this was Jesus' start. I want us to recognize He has always been. And God promised from the beginning that He would send Him for a very important mission to help us as humans here on this earth. So he was to be the seed of David. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Son there means child or kinship. Jesus, in fact, was of the lineage of David, just as God promised that the Savior and King would be. God promised the Savior and King that he would send, that part of himself to be ruler over the eternal kingdom would be born in a little town of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though there be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. And then notice this phrase. We're not talking about a human ruler. We're not talking about a normal man. He says, Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. There is only one being who has been from old, from everlasting, and that is God himself. This ruler of this kingdom that would be born in that little town of Bethlehem was to be God. (coughs) God made flesh. And so what do we see in the New Testament? Well, we see that this is fulfilled. And Jesus was born there in Bethlehem, just as God promised the Savior would be. We notice that God promised that he would send that part of himself, his son Jesus, that Savior, that King of the eternal kingdom, through a virgin, and that she would give birth to that child. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what do we see in the New Testament with Jesus? That that's exactly what happened. As the angel there speaks to Joseph, the angel tells Joseph to not fear to take unto thee and marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And Mary was not pregnant with just any child. She had the Son of God within her. And that was something, something that God had promised long ago. And finally, we see God promised that this part of himself he would send, that was to be ruler of the eternal kingdom, that was to be of the seed of David and born in the little town of Bethlehem and born of a virgin would also die but not stay in the grave. 
In Psalm 16, 9 and 10, the scripture says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And what do we see, of course, in the New Testament? As we look at the life of Jesus, we know that he died on that cross and we know three days later he didn't stay in that grave, but he rose again. In Acts chapter 13, it says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Jesus fulfilled all these promises. So what I want us to do as we walk through and we talk about these prophecies, we talk about Jesus, and I want to remember that the start of Jesus was not when he came down here on this earth. In fact, that was really the fulfillment of the promises that had been laid out for years and years, hundreds and thousands of years before. As God knew that he needed something in order to restore the relationship between him and mankind that man had ruined by sinning against him, that sin had separated us from God, and God from that time said, I'm going to create a plan to save you. And he incorporated his son Jesus as a part of that. So Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises. And I want to remind you of this. You may have seen this before. But there are 60 major prophecies uh, of Christ in the Old Testament. And there are about 300 or so in all that many people uh, believe to be prophecies about Jesus. And I just want us to recognize that Jesus did not fulfill these by chance. Jesus was not just lucky and happened to be of the right lineage and happened to be born in the right town and happy, happened to, I don't know how you happened to raise from the grave, you know, or, or happened to do a lot of the other uh, prophecies that are made about him. But some people will claim that, that Jesus just got lucky. And I just want you to know that that's not the case. And it's really impossible when you do the math on it. Uh, Peter Stoner in 1976 ran these numbers and then they've been confirmed over and over uh, by different groups uh, since then. But they took eight of these prophecies of, remember, 60 major and 300 in all. And they took eight and they said, what are the chances that somebody could just accidentally hit on eight of those just the right way and then pretend or claim to be that savior and that king? And that number is there in red for you. It's one in 100 quadrillion. That is a big, big number. The state of Texas is huge. You can drive 15, 16 hours in the state of Texas and still be in it. And that's in a straight line. And you can do that multiple ways. The state of Texas is huge. And if you filled this entire state two feet deep with silver dollars, you marked one with an X on the back, you mixed the whole thing around, you blindfolded a guy, you sent him out, and you said, you better pick the one with the X on it your first try. The chances of him picking the silver dollar with the X with... The state of Texas filled two feet deep with them. That's the chances somebody could have accidentally. So was Jesus just, he just accidentally was of the right lineage? No. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises. The reason why Jesus fulfills all of these things is because God, from that time when Adam and Eve had sinned, he set forward, forth a plan in motion to send a part of himself to be savior and to be king of an eternal kingdom. And that eternal kingdom is important because it is, it is that eternal kingdom if we are in it, that allows us to have eternal life. When all of this is passed away, when all of the flesh is destroyed, all of the earth around us and the universe is gone by, by the wayside, what is going to be left is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is what is eternal. And if you and I are a part of that kingdom, then you and I are eternal as well. If we're not a part of that kingdom, then we will pass away as the rest of the flesh and the rest of the earth, and we will in fact see eternal destruction. But to be alive for eternity means we must be a part of that kingdom of Jesus Christ. And God set that plan in motion from the beginning. So now let's talk about Jesus coming to this earth. In Luke chapter 1, 
God would choose a young woman named Mary to be the mother of Jesus. It says in verse 26, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall uh, be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Notice the mention of the kingdom here as this angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and he says, You have been chosen as the vessel to... Uh, to bring the Son of God into the world, that part of Himself that God had promised so many hundreds and thousands of years before that was being fulfilled now in the days of the Roman Empire. Mary, this young woman who's engaged to be married to this man named Joseph, she's chosen. The angel says, the son that you're going to have, he's going to be from God, he's going to be great. And notice what he says about that kingdom. That this child would reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is the same kingdom that Daniel prophesied of in Daniel 2 and verse 44. That in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. This is the eternal kingdom. And that angel comes to Mary and says, Your son that you're going to have, he's to be the king of that eternal kingdom and reign forever. Well, what a message that would be for a young woman who's engaged to be married to somebody to get. And as you can imagine, this this caused some issues there in the relationship and Joseph wasn't sure what he wanted to do. In fact, he had decided after some some thought and contemplation that he was going to put Mary away. But privately, he's not going to make a big big thing about it. He was a good, uh, compassionate man there. But as you can imagine, Joseph's motivations there, he he wanted to to move forward since he had found out that she was with child. But then God comes to Joseph and he says, don't worry about it. She's not been unfaithful to you. This is the plan of God. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then notice what the angel tells Joseph about this boy that would be born to Mary. He says, for he shall save his people from their sins. So we've got the angels telling Mary and Joseph the same but a little bit different things about Jesus. And there's really two things that they are told about him. That he would be the ruler, the king of that eternal kingdom, and that he would be the savior of mankind. And those two things really are the same, but they're a little bit different way of looking at it. Because as Jesus came to become the Savior of mankind, He also became the King of the eternal kingdom of which those of us who are saved are a part of. And so Joseph gets this message and, and he, of course, accepts that it is from God. And he and Mary uh, get married and then he becomes the earthly father, so to speak, of Jesus as Jesus is born. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, we see, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now you're familiar with this story. A lot of times at Christmas time you'll see the, the nativity scenes and you'll hear the stories and all of what happened as Jesus was born. But it was a very lowly birth 
for the king of mankind and for the savior of mankind. Instead of coming in some glorious entrance as you would expect a king to do, Jesus was born in a manger. Jesus was born in the place where the animals were because as they got to the inn, there was no room for them. There was, there was no place for them to go. And so there they are in the midst of animals and she wraps the little baby in swaddling clothes and she has just given birth to the Son of God, to the promised Savior and King, but such an humble beginning for a king and for a savior. Now in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So you've got Joseph and Mary having, having Jesus here in this very humble, lowly place. And then you've got an angel that appears to these shepherds. And these shepherds are just out tending their sheep. They're just out doing their job. And suddenly an angel comes down and there, I'm sure there's a bright light. You can imagine how, how um, amazing this would be for those shepherds to see. And then those angels say, I come and I bring you good tidings of great joy. What were those good tidings? What was this message of great joy? Well, that there was a Savior was born. And any Jew that was, that was educated in the Old Testament law and scriptures at all would recognize that this was the fulfillment of those prophecies about that Savior and that King that was to be born. So these shepherds, as they hear this message that the Savior has been born, they decide, we've got to go see this baby. And it says, it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. So just as we would expect ourselves to do, if an angel came to us and said, the Savior has been born, these shepherds said, we've got to go see. And so they immediately made the trek to go see baby Jesus. And it says they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And so they run as fast as they can to the place where the angels told them that this Savior was laying. And they find Mary and they find Joseph and they find baby Jesus. And they're amazed. They're in awe. And they go and they start telling everybody that they see anybody that will listen to them and they're saying a savior has been born and the people were amazed at what they heard they were amazed at the things that the shepherds said but those shepherds weren't the only ones that were interested in seeing the baby Jesus there were wise men from the east that came it says in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying where is he that is born king of the Jews for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So you've seen in those nativity scenes and you've heard the Christmas story and most of the time there's three wise men there in those scenes. We don't know how many wise men there were. We know there were more than one. Uh, but there are three gifts that were given. That's generally why there are three wise men uh, depicted. But there could have been 20 wise men for all we know. We just simply don't know how many there were. But they come from the east. They come to Jerusalem. They go before King Herod. And they say, where is the baby that was born? They've been guided by a star being led to where this Savior and this King was supposed to be born. But they get to Jerusalem. They say, well, where is he? We need to go find him. Well, Herod, this is the first that Herod has heard about it. And Herod is troubled by the news that there is a Savior and a King being born. Now, Herod is in power. And as we're going to see throughout the life of Jesus, those that are in power fear Jesus because they know the prophecies. And they know that this Savior and this King was supposed to be ruler 
of an eternal kingdom. Now, they had a misunderstanding of what that kingdom was. And even Jesus' own disciples had a misunderstanding of what that kingdom was. And we recognize that Jesus' kingdom is spiritual, and we're going to talk more about that. But they feared for their own power. And so Herod wanted to know where baby Jesus was too, but for different reasons. So he told the wise men, I don't know where he is, but go find him. Once you've found him, come back and tell me, because I want to come worship him too. And so Herod lied to them in that way. He said, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. When you have found him, bring, him, or bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child or the young child was. Now, this is also depicted as them still being there as if it's right after the birth of Jesus. And very likely this could have been some time. It just says the young child. So we don't know exactly, but, but Jesus still would have been very young. Uh, so theoretically within the first year or two uh, of his life, uh, they have come and, and they're, they're coming to do what? To worship Jesus. It says that I may come and worship him. That's, that's Herod, of course, saying that. But the wise men were coming there to worship him. And that's exactly what they do. In verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now I want you to consider something this morning. Have you ever known of a baby or a young child for people to have fallen down and worshipped them? Now there's some cute babies, some good looking little children, little babies in the world, you know. Have you ever seen anybody bow down and worship them? I haven't, never seen that. It would be odd, it would be a little strange, right? But it wasn't odd and it wasn't strange here Because they all recognized who Jesus was. They recognized that this baby, this young child, was different than any other baby or young child that had ever been born and is different than any baby or any child that would be born in the future. And so because Jesus was the fulfillment of God's long-standing promises, all of those that knew about those prophecies and those promises of God recognized how important this baby was. And that's why people were willing to fall down on their knees and worship him because they believed that he was the savior and the king of that eternal kingdom. So these wise men come, they bow down, they worship him, they present these gifts before him. And then they decided to go a different way and not go back to Herod because God warned them of Herod's evil intentions. It says, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So God comes to the wise men, and he says, Don't go tell Herod where Jesus is. Herod's got evil intentions. He goes to Joseph, and he says, You need to take your family right now and get up and go to Egypt, because it's not safe for you here. Herod is going to try to destroy Jesus. And it says in verse 16 of Matthew 2, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, a couple of things I want us to notice from this passage. One, he says he he slew or killed all of the children two years old and younger according to the time when he had talked to the wise men. That's why we assume that Jesus was somewhere between zero and two years old. And we don't know exactly how old. But when the wise men visited him, he was under two years old because Herod knew how old Jesus should be. And in an attempt to get rid of Jesus, 
Herod killed, and I just want us to think about this, as horrific as it is, he killed every single child, not just the boys. Boys and girls, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem, but not just in Bethlehem, but in all the coasts thereof, the surrounding areas as well. He did whatever he could to try to kill that baby. Now, just as I asked you a moment ago, have you ever known anybody to to bow down and worship a baby? Have you ever known anybody to want to kill every child two years old and younger just to try to get rid of one particular baby? Now, there have been some some children that have been feared in history because of who they came from and their lineage and that sort of, but nothing to this extent. This was a baby that inspired awe and wonder and worship and was also a baby that inspired fear and murder. There's a reason for that. And it's because everybody, whether they were for him or against him, acknowledged who he was and who he was meant to be. And Herod and the other religious Jewish leaders of that time feared Jesus because if he really was the king, if he really was going to start a what they thought would be a revolution against Rome and return the kingdom of God to the Israelites and reign as king over them, then their power would be lost. And they didn't want that. They were happy with the status quo. And so you've got Herod killing all of these children to try to get rid of Jesus while you've got others bowing down and worshiping him. No baby in the history of mankind has ever inspired such worship and such fear. But Jesus did. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The two reasons that Jesus came, to save mankind and to reign as king and as Lord over his kingdom, that is exactly why he inspired that type of fear and that type of worship. Isaiah describes what Jesus would go on to do. What they didn't understand was that Jesus did not come to start a revolution against Rome. He did not come to establish a physical kingdom. He did not come to restore that kingdom to Israel. What he came to do was to establish an eternal kingdom and to become the gateway to allow us into that eternal life. That gateway, he would become that by sacrificing himself on the cross. And despite the prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about the suffering Savior, they still misunderstood what Jesus' purpose was. Isaiah said this about that coming king and that savior that we know to be Jesus. He said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What they misunderstood, but what I want you and I so very clearly to understand this morning is that Jesus came to save us. He came to become a sacrifice for our sin. He came to become the bridge between us and God. That gulf that had become there as a result of Adam and Eve's sin there in the garden, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. That separation that has taken place, that's what Jesus came to do. God sent a part of Himself in Jesus down to become that sacrifice to pay for our sin so that we could be a part of an eternal kingdom that would last forever beyond all of this when it fades away. That's what Jesus' purpose was. And even as a baby, he inspired that awe and he inspired that fear. And unfortunately today, Jesus still inspires awe and he still inspires fear. 
He inspires awe in those that believe that He is the Son of God, that appreciate the fact that He came down to give His life, to allow our iniquity to be laid upon Him, to take that payment for sin for us. But He inspires fear in those who refuse to acknowledge Him as Lord, who want to live for themselves and put themselves at the center of their universe. And the thought that if Jesus really is real and He really is King and He really is Savior and He's coming back one day, that strikes fear in the heart of those that have rejected Him. And if you're here this morning and you have rejected Him and you have not become a part of that eternal kingdom that Jesus Christ came to establish, then you need to get on the, on the other side. You need to stop being on the side of fear and you need to start being on the side of awe and worship. And you need to accept what the wise men accepted, what those shepherds accepted, what Joseph and Mary accepted, and what all the other people who heard about Jesus and who came down and worshipped Him and were in awe of those things that they heard. You need to be on that side. And you need to accept that He was the fulfillment of God's promise, that He did come to save, and that He did come to become King of an eternal kingdom that you must be a part of to have eternal life.